Hi, I'm Trish Caldwell, Vice President of Family and Clinical Programming at Recovery Centers of America. Welcome to Shoutout's Always Healing Podcast. Always Healing is about recovery and resiliency. We'll hear from a diverse group of people to hear their experiences with mental health, relationships, parenting, and substance use disorder. For the very first time on this podcast, I'll talk candidly with my daughter, Kaylin, about living with ADHD and the importance of ADHD coaching. For me now, I'm kind of like, okay, I understand the consequences a little bit more, that I am a really high risk and that I don't want to have a problem with addiction. If I was taught more about it in high school, I feel like that would have helped me realize it's not just coming from my nagging mom telling me not to do these things, and it's really coming from an educational standpoint. Also with us, Linda Henderson, author of Wake Up Mom, Can't You See Your Son is an Addict? It's pretty brutally honest about everything that went on (laughs) and hope that maybe somebody would say, hey, you know what, maybe I better pay more attention. One little thing could make a difference and helps their child for not falling into that chaos and ruination of their life. It's then it's worth it, right? Shout out to Always Healing, a podcast on recovery and resiliency. Thank you both for joining me and being a part of this um, topic. I'm going to give you a little bit of background as to why I wanted to do this topic. And again, I'm so grateful that both of you had agreed to be a part of this because I've been working in this field for about 27 years. I have spent a lot of time working with children and adolescents and so many coming through that have been diagnosed with ADHD. I continue to see adolescents and young adults that developed substance use disorders. And when I would talk to their parents, they all said similar things. I wish I had known differently. I wish I had understood this better. I wish somebody spoke to me about the risks of their medication and the risks of their behavior. And I'm not even exaggerating when I would say I would leave doing parent forums in the evening and would get in the car and say, there but for the grace of God, this could have been me. That at 13, Kaylin was diagnosed with ADHD. I knew she had it. And when the psychologist had diagnosed her, she made a point to tell me she scored really high on the impulsivity. And I said, okay. And she stopped me and she said, no, she scored really high on the impulsivity. And in that moment when I left, I knew what she was saying to me. I knew that she was one of the highest risks, that when we talk about ADHD, it's about 50% of those that have ADHD that develop a substance use disorder. It has one of the highest risks of comorbidity. And I felt an immense amount of gratitude that I knew what I knew, but I felt like every mom should know this. It shouldn't have just been me because I chose a profession that happened to help me to understand ADHD substance use. Then I would listen to moms, especially, talk about their experiences. Again, the thing that kept coming to me is that they are before the grace of God. And so I made it a point back then to start training people, treatment providers, getting out in conferences, speaking to people about the risks and how to have conversations and how to understand it because it became very polarized in our understanding of ADHD. So people were either like, this is not a real disorder and we discounted it and it's just a behavioral issue. Or people were saying the only thing you could do is treat it with a stimulant. And the conversations that needed to be had were everything in between. Again, I'm here with Linda Henderson, the author of Wake Up Mom, Can't You See Your Son is an Addict, and my daughter, Kaylin Caldwell. Let me start with Linda. When did you first have your son diagnosed with ADHD? 
Well, it wasn't actually that I sent him to somebody to be diagnosed. I was a teacher for about 25 years, and I worked with a woman who I mentioned in my book, Joyce Pickering, who was an expert in learning disabilities. And she made it a point to train all of her staff to identify the symptoms because it was not an unusual situation is what I'm saying, to have children with behavioral problems in a class. And she didn't want us to just categorize them as behavioral problems. She wanted to teach us a way to deal with those children who had to have a different way of learning. They had to have more structure. They had to have more organization, more supervision. And especially she was very keen on setting up classrooms that didn't have as much distraction as a normal classroom without posters all over the wall and vibrant colors and this and that. This was all part of her training, which went on for several years that I worked with her. And then it was years later when my son was born and, and he started elementary school that I started seeing in him all of these things that Joyce had taught me about. And again, the teachers would say, well, he can't sit still. He, he doesn't focus. He has no, he doesn't have attention. He's losing his homework. And I said, okay, I get it. Let's work. Let's work together. So my deal was then I said, okay, I, I have enough information to know how to deal with this. I think because I had a master's in education I, and I had a lot of courses and worked with Joyce, as I said. So I never took him to a doctor and said, oh, all right, confirm this. He has ADHD. It was like saying, yeah, the milk is white. I knew that already. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So to answer your question, no, I didn't have him diagnosed, but I, I knew I knew what it was. All the signs were there. So what did you notice as he was getting older? Well, I noticed, well, again, he. As any typical child with ADHD, it, it was hard for him to focus. He had to have structure. He had to have lists of things and more specifically, an organization, a structure to his life. So as he got older, I found that the busier he was, the better he did. He was very, very active in sports because having the hyperactivity, he could never sit still. I would buy him all these toys that he had absolutely no interest in. He would be down the street playing, riding his bike, playing t-ball, anything outdoors. So that's how he channeled his energy and, and which I thought was a great thing because that's what things pretty much don't do today, but he would come home. And then again, you know, the disorganization right up into high school when he would leave in the morning and I swear it was almost every other day, he would forget something. And I drive to the <laughs> line, you forgot your hockey stick, you forgot your book. And it became a joke. At the front office, uh, here's Linda again. Dana forgot something. <laughs> Try to keep them on track, right? It's always there. It's like, Mom, I'm trying. I'm trying. He managed fine in school with structure. And I tried to make sure he had the activities. And he was very, very busy. He was on two hockey teams, lacrosse team, golf teams, everything. And that set aside a certain time every night for homework. And that's what he had to get done. Or he wasn't allowed to do the sports. And it was... Pretty simple until he left home. And that was another whole story. And so, Kaylin, I notice you, as she's describing her son, you nodding to almost everything 
she's saying. It so, feels like she's describing me. I'm like, her son literally sounds exactly like how I was in high school, pretty much. <laughs> like, everything, down to the T. Like, keeping structure, that was extremely important. And even, like, before I left for college, my mom would write little notes around the house of chores that I needed to get done for the day with check marks next to them, because if she didn't write it down, it wasn't getting done. Like, that's, and that's how it was, yeah. <laughs> but I think like you said, structure was really important to me and also staying active. Um, so I would go to school and then go to soccer practice and then have another club soccer practice right after. And then I go home, do my homework and go to bed. And I think for me, staying that active was super helpful. And we know that to be true. So that's the part of like ADHD that people don't know what that means, right? So we know, like we can catch it. We know that you perform better when you are structured, but People don't know why, right? So a lot of families don't know why that is. They just know. I know you do better, but I don't know why. And so when you talk about risks of like going off to college, right, because they don't know that the activity level is producing such a neurological change that it helps to keep your brain alert. I will say that. So Kaylin has as a backdrop, she's had five concussions because as a terrific athlete with ADHD, what she didn't understand the language of was, can you just tone it down? So she'd get a concussion. The doctor would say, can you slow down your game, right? Change the style. No, I can't. So I'm still going to do a header. I'm still going to do this aggressive style. So concussion again, um, to which she's still engaged in the same level of play because that's who she is. And so for all of the reasons we just talked about, when you got your fifth concussion and she was no longer allowed to play sports. So the doctor said, the recovery is too long. You have to stop. She had a scholarship waiting for her to play in college. That was single-handedly the scariest moment because I knew everything that was helping you to do well was gone. Do you remember that as well of like dad and I kind of talk about it as like this was like the dark time because we were so worried because everything that allowed for you to do well, the organization, the sports, you know, the structure, everything that was there was gone, let alone that your identity was a part of that, right? That you were grieving the loss of this, but everything that allowed for you to manage successfully your ADHD was taken. So do you remember that? I remember you and dad kind of talking to me about it. And now kind of, now that I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, I wonder if I played lacrosse in college, if that would have helped kept me more structured in college as to where like I went and I wasn't playing a sport. And so I had a lot of free time because I was only taking four classes and then I was kind of sitting around or hanging out with my friends. But I'm like, oh, maybe if I was involved in a sport, that probably would have helped because I lost a lot of that structure, especially because athletes in college, like they have to do study hours and stuff. So it probably totally agree because when my son went to college, he didn't play hockey the way he had in high school like I said he was on two teams and then when he went it's like he just played club because it was a d1 school division one so I, I kept encouraging him please please go out for hockey he, he finally did but just just for a year and again Kaylin to your point when that structure went away everything really just went to hell <laughs> there's yeah. no other drive <laughs> Yeah. And that is right. So these are, again, the conversations that a lot of people don't have is, you know, I I find it ironic. And so obviously I do this. Right. So I should know better. But I bought Kaylin a book for like preparing for college that she lost within minutes (laughs) of me giving it to her. And I was like, where's the book? And she's like, you never gave me a book. And I'm like, a hundred percent. I gave you a book. And she's like, well, I lost it. I'm like, of course you did. So moving that transition over into the college years, 
And so again, the trajectory of like substance use when we look at it, right, is, and this is in all my years, in high school, you're seeing certainly some people develop a full-blown substance use disorder in high school, right? But you normally see this trajectory where there's a lot more experimentation in high school. It's where some of it, and again, Kaylin and I have not, I've been very careful to not become a therapist to Kaylin. So I have been like an ADHD coach at time, if I'm not I'm going to be fully honest, right? I've been an ADHD coach plenty, but I have intentionally tried not to ever be a therapist. So we've never talked about if she struggled with depression with it or anxiety. And we might today, you have full reign as to what you do or do want to discuss, but we have not because that was a space that if she wanted to, she was going to be given a platform that she could talk about that because I was still mom. And I can't help that I'm a therapist, right? So I am what I am. And so that kind of trajectory in substance use, we had lots of conversations about drugs, and marijuana use and alcohol use, lots and lots of it, because it's the college years that you worry about, right? It's the planting of the seeds in high school that can launch something in college, right? So I can't unknow what I know, which is why it was really overwhelming. When we dropped her off at college, it was a lot of praying and a lot of silence. We still talk about that five hours of silent (laughs) car ride home because she went out to Pittsburgh and we live outside of Philly because those are the conversations that get lost, right? So somebody that's very structured in high school goes off to college, the structure changes. It's required of the young adult to take the initiative to be able to access treatment and resources, but that's at the very core of what gets caught and lost for somebody with ADHD. Right. And that's what happened with Dana. And in hindsight, that ride home for me was also miserable thinking, oh, now he's on his own. Will it be able to handle it? And you worry about the drinking and all the typical things that parents worry about. It turns out that wasn't what I should have been worried about. I should have been more worried about his lack of structure because when he found he had the inability to focus on his classes, and I think that was due to lack of structure, then he sought out the help of a psychiatrist very quick to prescribe him the Adderall. I wasn't there to say, no, don't take it. I didn't know enough about it. And in hindsight, again, it's like I should have done more research on it. I didn't know it was addictive at the time. And just the lack of structure and and doing that just led to his demise, total demise. So yeah, ride home, I should have been more worried on the ride home, (laughs) but Again, as you know, Trish, that's why I had to write the book. I had to try to figure out where it went wrong, and it all stemmed back to this. It all stems back yeah. to this. Yeah. Identifying and being able to, I don't know if I failed in, in having him be more responsible for himself, but as a parent, you always think I did the best I could. Yep. At some point, you have to let go and say, okay, you're an adult now. Now you have to make your own decisions. Yeah. Hey, Caitlin, at, at, at that point, you don't want a helicopter mom saying, okay, you're saying, okay, I've got it. I'm in college now. I've got it. And I was trying to say, okay, Janet, you've got this. You're a big boy now. And-, and their brains just don't support it. So I think that that's that piece, right, is that it was a lot of scaffolding. That was the word that I would use is that I knew her brain wasn't fully developed. I knew you wanted to launch, but I wasn't ready, and I knew you weren't there fully. So what do you think started helping you to make different decisions? And again, you might tell me here that I didn't make different decisions. Mom, I might have, again, we've not had this conversation. So how did you stay out of being that one that ends up out of that 50%? 
Um, so I think to start, my mom put a little bit of the fear of God into me. So at first in high school, it was more of like, you're going to be grounded and in a lot of trouble. And so I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. And then I went to college and she was like, I'm not going to pay for your tuition anymore. I'm going to pull you out of school. So then I was like, okay, not really worth it for me to be doing like these things and me being ripped out of school or mom not helping pay um, for some of my tuitions and stuff. So I think her putting that fear into me is what initially <laughs> kind of kept me away from all those things. Um, but I will say now that I'm older, I think if she were to have the conversation with me now, I think just me knowing the statistics on it and realizing that I am a really high risk, I think I would have took that a little bit more to heart than I did in high school. So her saying like, you're at really high risk in high school and in college, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever mom like I don't want you to not have to pay for my tuition like I don't want to have to pay all this and for me now I'm kind of like okay I understand the consequences a little bit more that I am a really high risk and that I don't want to have a problem with addiction you know what I mean so it's a different conversation now than it was for me in high school you remember the phrase that I would always say to you I think I would say like don't make a decision that could change the rest of your life yeah. So did, were you prescribed any drug to help you handle your ADHD, Kaylin? Yeah. So in high school, I was on Concerta and I think I was only on 10 milligrams. And then when I got to college, I was in a physical therapy program. So it was pretty rigorous, like a biology. Yeah, yeah. I was taking a lot of credits. And so I did talk to my primary care doctor and he upped my prescription to, I think, 27 milligrams. So it wasn't like a huge jump. I think that was the right, next just two, dosage. Just from 10 to 18 to 27. Yeah. Just because I felt like I was having a harder time focusing in college and the course load was way harder than high school. And I think that upping the dosage for me definitely helped. I also wasn't like over the weekends, I wasn't taking it because I didn't want my brain to start to have to like rely on it almost. And so even if I was only going to be doing a little bit of homework for a day and I didn't have any classes, I still wouldn't take it because I wanted my brain to like do some of some of the work. I wanted it to be a little bit hard and challenging and really try and sit down and focus without having to use a stimulant. Right. Okay. Do you feel that some of the conversations then that we had, because these are some of the things that I feel like. So you just said something that I know I've said. So some of it sank in. So that's mm -hmm. the good news, right? If we're talking to parents, that that conversation's then a little bit different because I, I actually do remember saying to you, this isn't supposed to be magical for you, mm -hmm. right? This is supposed to, you still have to put in the hard work. You're not, we're not going to continue to up the dosage. At a certain point, you need your brain to step in, but we want it to be able to have at least a base that you can succeed. Right. So you knew you weren't going to continue to get upped as well. You know what I mean? Right. And so does that also help? And, and again, if we're trying to figure out, so how do we have real conversations? How do family members like myself and Linda raise our children and you're the child, right? To help you understand some of your risks in a way you could hear it. Cause you heard it then, right? So mm -hmm. again, you fought it. So somebody had just asked, you know, jokingly, you know, well, what were the last four years? Cause when I was told she's going to be very impulsive and I was like, we're in for a rough four years. It was more like six. But they said, you guys look like you're very close. And I'm like, we are, right? I mean, I love my daughter with every part of who I am. Hopefully that stayed and that she believed that even in the hard times. But you can't predict behaviors you can't predict. I don't have it. I can't see what you're about to do because I don't think that way. So what conversations do you feel like were helpful in a way that other people could have those conversations so that people aren't having like it's either this or it's that? Like what helped you to understand to help you make different choices? 
I mean, I feel like education is always the best way to go. So telling kids with ADHD, like, you don't have to scare them like you did for me, even though that that personally worked for me. But I also know that fear isn't going to work for every kid. That also wasn't a threat. That was that was consistent. Like I was being dead serious. Your other sisters have heard the same thing. Yeah. So it wasn't a threat of a fear factor. It was like legit. Like if you're going to be messing around out there, I'm not paying. Right. You can do it, but I'm not paying for it. So that was a, yes, that was real. <laughs> yeah. But I think education too, like educating kids in school with ADHD being like, Hey, you're at more of a risk for this. And I'm sure that would stick for some people as well. Did you notice? And then Linda, I'd be interested to see if you noticed this for Dana as well. So in addition to substance use being a high comorbidity, oftentimes for kids, especially honestly for girls, because it looks very different for girls than it does for boys. And so oftentimes people miss it. So there runs a high risk of comorbidity with depression and anxiety. Did you feel that you struggled with that? You know the anxiety. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I feel like I'm a pretty happy. I don't ever feel like I had any struggle with depression or anxiety. But again, my story is also different than every other kid with ADHD out there. So I may not struggle with depression or anxiety, but that doesn't mean the person next to me isn't. And maybe that's also helps with the vulnerability, right? So we know that the more the vulnerability factors, the higher the risks. So you had the ADHD, but the way that you, you know, Kaylin and I are laughing because we would say like Hakuna Matata. Like I wish that she worried about some stuff. <laughs> so that's why I have gray hairs because I had to worry because I was like, you should be worried about this. And you're like, eh, I'm not. <laughs> so that kind of coping skill might have reduced your risk, right? So your own personal resiliency. So then with families, Linda, did you notice Dana struggling with self-esteem or depression or anxiety? Because those are very high comorbidities as well. As his usage went up, it did. I'm going to backtrack a little little bit here though um it's interesting you would ask her what um what did you say to her when she went to college and so on and when I asked you before how old you were I find it interesting because you're 25 and my son well he's probably 13 years older than you so what was available in terms of knowledge about the drug that was prescribed was so different then I googled it then nothing came up and it was only years later where the scientific community actually started doing studies on this and paying attention to it realizing it was becoming this quote study buddy of all these college students that now this is in the early 2000s so when he started using it all the red flags and alarms didn't go off and I kept telling myself he's under the care of a doctor And I didn't want to start, like you said, Trish, being the therapist and said, yeah, but I think, I think, I'm thinking, okay, he's seen a psychiatrist. Clearly the man must must know what he's doing. I didn't question it and wrongfully so, but again, all the information was not available then. So when he would go and say, oh, I need more, I need to study for this or that, and his dosage eventually was increased. Or, and as he candidly told me later, when I was interviewing him for the book, he goes, Mom, you could just get it from anybody on campus. The more he took, the better he felt. He didn't know either the potential ramifications. The information just wasn't available then. And even when he really had problems and his roommate called him out on, he goes, I didn't know. He goes, I just thought I was taking my meds. So there wasn't this, will you do this because I said so? And there weren't warning signs then, which... It's really sad. At least you're in a time where you have much more information about it, and parents do. Thank God they do, right? 
Well, and that's why I think what you're sharing is so important, right? Because what you're saying is the knowledge becomes a game changer. And what Caitlin absolutely. is saying is the knowledge is the game changer. It's so the knowledge. I'm always struck with like, why are we still not having these conversations then? Honest conversations, right? So that's what I loved about your book. It created an honest conversation about real life stories. It's pretty brutally honest about everything that went on. <laughs> and yeah. hope that maybe somebody would say, hey, you know what? Maybe I better pay more attention. Right. To yeah. even one little thing could make a difference. And the parent knows one little thing and helps their child for not falling into that chaos and ruination of their life. It's then it's worth it. Right. Yeah. And I think, again, for this topic in particular, because people just don't have it, right? You're saying that 20 years ago, there just wasn't enough information provided to give you the tools to help your son navigate some of these conversations, right? And so I come around behind you. I happen to be in the field, so I'm having these conversations. But how many parents still don't know how to have these conversations or don't know what education they need to be paying attention to, how to have a conversation about stimulants, how to help their kids understand what their risks are associated with right. substance use. They can't pay enough attention as far as I'm concerned, and they can't have enough conversations with their child, and they can't monitor enough as far as I'm concerned. It's all the monitoring of the drug that is the key importance. They can have the prescription, and once they're not monitored on that prescription, that's the demise that they're going to fall into if they're not monitored. And when they're away from home, that's even harder because something takes over their body and says, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, and common sense just goes out the door. Yeah. What did you find, Kaylin? So at college, that was a huge shift. So if we start to kind of move towards like, so then where is our solution, right? What do we want people to take away with? So as we start moving kind of like and wrapping up, like what do you think kids need to hear in high school and in college that would help them? Because I will say, and I'm not just saying this because I'm your mom, right? But you're incredibly successful at what you've done, right? You have figured it out. It was lots of bruises, lots of bumps, right? I have made plenty of mistakes. I say that all the time. I have made a lot of mistakes. There's been a lot of apologies on my end that I've said I should not have said that. I'm sorry, I should not have done that. But I'm a parent who, you know, is trying to figure out the best way to navigate with you. And so it doesn't matter if I'm a therapist, I'm still your mom. And this isn't a shot to me, right? But what could I have done differently? Because what hopefully will happen is people will listen and say, that's what I'm going to start doing for my child, right? So I've made a lot of missteps. What could I have done differently that would have helped you? If it was hard for me, it was hard for you, right? So six solid years where it was a struggle. What could I have done differently that would have helped you? I don't know if there's anything you could have done different. I feel like sometimes it almost feels like a nagging parent and I don't, I mean mm -hmm. this with love, but sometimes it's my mom. So when she's telling me these things, I'm like, okay, mom, like whatever. But I feel like if it comes from an educator or a teacher or something, then it becomes a little bit different. It's kind of like sex ed. Like you don't want to hear it from your parents, but when it's coming from a teacher, it's like a little bit different because you're learning. So I feel like if they start to kind of incorporate, and I feel like as mental health awareness is getting bigger, this can be something that they start to incorporate in schools and talk about mental health and ADHD. Because even from like a young age, I always wondered why things took way longer for me like I would take a test and I would be sitting in the classroom for 20 extra minutes and I'm like well am I dumb or why is this taking me so much longer and I didn't realize it was because I had ADHD so I was sitting and trying to focus and getting distracted and all these other kids are able to just right. go through the test with no distractions and then yeah as I got older just kind of being like you can 
just educating on like things that go hand in hand with ADHD to try and help other than medications. So like staying active and making sure that you have a routine. And even for me now as an adult, like I go to work in the morning, I go right to the gym, I go to soccer practice, and then I go to bed. So like I'm always busy, but like for me, that's better. And I'm obviously a little less impulsive now that I'm older. But I think if I was taught more about it in high school, I feel like that would have helped me maybe understand it a little bit more or realize it's not just coming from my nagging mom telling me not to do these right. things. And it's really coming from an educational yeah. standpoint. So like coaching. Right. So somebody outside of a parent. So having like an ADHD coach right. would have been a really helpful thing because mm-hmm. they would give you the same skills, but it just wouldn't be from your mom where you're like, oh my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I will put my clothes away. Like all of those things. Right. Okay. Linda, what do you think? I always say ADHD is like a superpower to me, right? It either is going to be, so like all good superpowers, it's used for good or for evil, right? And so it's one or the other. ADHD is not going to be left ignored. So it's either going to manage you or you're going to manage it. And so, you know, maybe accessing coaching, I think is a really good idea and being able to reach out to a professional to be able to share those skills. And I know that that was a misstep, right? I was trying to do both because I knew it. But for Linda, what would you offer as suggestions? Again, having gone down a different path. So here's two moms that love our children equally, that want the best thing for both of our children. Two different paths. What do you want family members and parents to take away from today? I think that Kaylin's suggestion is excellent. The ADHD coaching, just having, especially once they leave home, because as parents, we want to monitor everything we can, but especially when they're on their own in college or away, whether they're on a prescription drug or not to handle this. The coaching part, I I think, would help so many. And I had to smile as you were saying about the not finishing the test because Dana did exactly the same thing. And I would encourage him and say, why don't you go and see if you need, get a prescription from a doctor, go to your teacher, say, I'm ADHD. I, I can't concentrate. I need longer of these tests. But and you've probably felt the same way. Oh, I don't want to make a special mm-hmm. case of myself. I don't want to make, I don't want to draw attention to myself for this. I can handle it on my own. Well, clearly didn't happen, but to have a coach or somebody there to help them through steps like that, very important steps, taking an exam or a test in college. I mean, that's that's where all the pressure is right there. And it, it came right down to that. Am I right? Mm-hmm. And just somebody to help you over those hurdles without the aid of a pill would be huge. And I think as, you know, as we start to close, I think the awareness, that's what everybody is saying, is that that's what you're saying. If if I was more aware of certain things, you know, if it wasn't stigmatized, if kids didn't have to feel like they were being isolated or separated because they don't understand it. So if we have, I mean, this is ADHD month, we start having conversations about really, let's just have an honest conversation about this superpower because they're incredibly bright, overwhelmingly successful, super fun. Right. So Kaylin will laugh because she's like, I know I make you laugh more than anybody <laughs> in my family. And she's not wrong. Right. Is that she does. I love it. Right. Um, and so maybe that's the takeaway is for parents to get educated themselves. So I'm a family therapist by trade. I fundamentally believe in the family understanding this, providing their child the education and the tools. You don't necessarily need therapy. You need exactly. coaching. You need somebody to help you understand how to get organized, prioritize, put an agenda together you know, show up, understand the schedule and the importance of the schedule. That's not therapy. Some people are put off by that. You don't need therapy. You need skills and right. coaching. It's like if you're doing a sport, it's no different. But this is this is your life we're talking about. This isn't a game. This is your life. So it's even yeah. more important. 
Yeah, and I think the organization for you, because you did a, a lot of work with me about organizing, and I feel like that was a really big help for me, trying to stay organized and writing, again, those little notes being like, you need to get all this stuff done, because without it, I don't think I would have gotten anything done. And I think that people don't realize that with ADHD. They're just kind of like, why is my daughter or son not getting anything done? But it's because our minds are kind of elsewhere and without, and I don't need her telling me everything to do, but like sometimes that structure is super, is super helpful. Um, and I feel like it's important for other parents to kind of realize that too. It's not being bossy, but it's just trying to help right. keep me on track. And that's the part of ADHD, right? It's the working memory. It's not the global memory. You're very intelligent and can study it's the working memory that you forget you had an appointment mm -hmm. or you forget to close the cabinet drawers <laughs> or you right forget to take out your laundry it's the working memory and if it's created as like a shame-based and ridiculed and made fun of it creates those other comorbid conditions right and so you know i think that that becomes then the biggest takeaway is to let people know that this this is a condition that has tremendous success, but it can't be left ignored. And that with education and understanding, it's a game changer, particularly when we're talking about the education of substance use, because one out of every two can develop a substance use disorder. That's staggering. And so making sure that we're having those conversations at a younger age to help you to understand it so that we empower our parents who also don't know and think their kids are just being disrespectful or rude or not complying and then it becomes conflicted and, and all these other things that increase the other risks. You know, I think that these are the conversations we need to continue to have more of so that we can really empower those families to be able to empower their child. So I want to thank both of you immensely. Linda, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that we met. I appreciate your book, Wake Up Mom, Can't You See Your Son is an Addict? It's an amazing book of a journey of recovery, of hope, and of never giving up. Just hope it helps others. That's, and thank you so much for having me here. I, it's always interesting to get other people's take on it. It's like we're all, all in the same boat, as we say, and trying to figure out solutions for other people. That's what it's about. Because there's no reason other people have to go through some of the horrendous experiences some of us had when there's all that information and education out there available to people now. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. That's the goal. So thank you. Thank you, Linda. Very welcome. Thank you, Kaylin. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Always Healing, a podcast on recovery and resiliency. I'm Trish Caldwell. Let's talk again soon.